Please open up your Bibles to James chapter 5, verse 13. We're going to read verses 13 through 18, and then we'll take them verse by verse uh, today. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. As we look at our scriptures here today, James, again, continues, as the book of James was written, for the purpose of speaking to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We see that in chapter 1. And as James writes this letter so that it can be read, it can be heard by all, it was there for them to address the issue in the early church how important it was to once you understand who Jesus Christ is and you've surrendered your life and asked him into and you were regenerated, you were born again, that there is a process of maturing as a Christian that needs to take place. And we've been studying that of all the things that we need to change. We need to earnestly be wanting to change because you know once you're born again, there is a changed life. People always ask, how do you know if you've been born again? Did you, did, was there a change in your life? The things you, you were doing habitually, you no longer want and desire to do. And if I see the deer in the headlight look, I know they have not been born again because you know without a question in your mind when you were born again, you no longer wanted to live the old life. You were running from it. You have no desire. It grieves you to even think about it. But if you have no problem sinning, you, as a matter of fact, I got rid of 90%, 99%, Pastor. It's just the 1%. I can't, I'm not going to give up. Let me encourage you today. Today's the day you surrender all. Surrender your life completely to the Lord on everything. And live for Jesus. Amen? So James, in the book of James here, talking about maturing as a believer, he addresses prayer today. How fitting the closure to James' letter is the emphasis on prayer. Because I believe it's the number one shortage or weakness within the church and within an individual's life as a Christian is a prayer life. The greatest assistance any believer can offer another is a faithful prayer. You really want to be helpful in someone's life? You want to be involved in someone's life and have impact in someone's life? Be a faithful prayer for that person. Prayer is clear evidence of a loving care to another. Do you really love them? Do you really care for them? Then you will pray earnestly for that person. Prayer is the direct connect or direct link to the one who can provide for any need, no matter how small or how complex or impossible it may seem in one's mind. How beautiful and how marvelous of the gift of speech. I think many times we take it for granted that of speech, and some of you exercise that gift very well in speech. You constantly are talking. 
But it is used for the glory of God is the question. It's not the amount that is impressive. It is the quality of what comes out of that mouth is what is important. And James addressed that in the scriptures already. How important it is to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And slow to wrath. See, James, in the beginning of the letter, had much to say to his readers, to his listeners, about the tongue, and this chapter is no exception. We learn how low the tongue can go when it comes to complaining and grumbling. We saw that in chapter 5, verse 9. We saw the, the, how low it can go with regards to the swearing and the, the false oaths you make in regards to using that tongue. We saw that in verse 12. But he also highlighted the highest uses of the tongue. What would that be? The highest uses would be proclaiming God's word in verse 10. The importance and the clarity of the tongue of your yes be your yes and your no, no. And also praying and praising God, we will see today in verse 13 how important, how high of a road that is when you're using this tongue to pray and to praise God. Prayer is a holy privilege. Most people don't see it that way. And to think that God, as God's children, we can come freely and boldly into his throne and share with him our needs, our highs, our lows, things that no one else knows that's going on in your life. We can boldly come to God because of our relationship with Jesus. He has made a way. Seven times in this section, James mentions prayer. The biggest indicator of a mature Christian is one who is prayerful and in the times of troubles, but also in the goodness of life. That measures your maturity. We should take account. How are you growing in your relationship with God? Measure it based upon your prayer life. It's a great indicator. It's a humbling indicator. It's a convicting indicator. But instead of complaining about your situations, James said earlier on in this chapter, we should talk to God about it. Stop complaining to others about it. Stop grumbling to yourself about it. Stop talking to yourself and start talking to God about the things and situations of your life. God hears and answers prayers. Taking it to the Lord in prayer is certainly a mark of spiritual maturity. And so in this section today, we're going to see James is going to encourage these readers, these believers who are coming through tremendous turmoil and, and tremendous troubles and challenges because we were just learning people are coming against them. They're coming against their walk with God. And they weren't going back to the, the old ways. They were, the rich was taking advantage of the poor. All these things we've been reading through. But today we're seeing James is going to do exactly what we should understand today. And he's going to give us four situations which God answers prayer or wants us to make sure we address by prayer. Look here in James chapter 5 verse 13. If anyone among you suffering, let him pray. If anyone is anyone cheerful, let him sing psalms. So we see in the very first two situations of the four of the, of the text today where we should be praying. James is asking his readers as a not asking them in regards to uh, what's the answer to this. He's saying, I'm going to give you the question and the answer so you understand clear what you're supposed to do. If you are suffering, what are you going to do? You need to be praying. You need to be talking to God. The greatest challenge and weakness of the average church today is one's life is the fact that areas of prayer and praise. They do not pray effectively, nor do they praise effectively. But the question is why? Why doesn't the church, why doesn't the individual pray and praise God effectively? It's very simple. Selfishness. 
insensitivity. One's heart has no concern for the subject because it doesn't impact them. So why would I spend time thinking about it? That's a sign of an immature Christian. Because a mature Christian has concerns for others. The heart is for what God has a heart for. You're not insensitive. You're very sensitive to the things and the needs of others. And you pray for them and you want to be helpful in as God leads you to be. There's much need for prayer and much need for praise. Suffering, James starts here, should bring out our prayer and sufficiency. What God has so beautifully provided for should bring out praise in our life. Does it? That's the question. Does it bring out prayer and praise every day? For what God's needs and, and also the, the tremendous sufficiencies of what God has provided? But he says here, if anyone among you is suffering, the suffering, the word here in the Greek, it means troubled. It means afflicted. It means you're in difficult situations. And that can vary. <clears throat> Your life and my life each day can have difficulties. Difficult situations, circumstances you never ever predicted. Some are inflicted because you did it to yourself. Oh, that brings much prayer many times from you. Oh, I really screwed up on this one. Whoa, and you really go to God. Help me, help me, help me. Save me, save me, save me. But sometimes things come into your life that is not because of you. What do you do with those situations? Complain and grumble against the person who did that? Or the government or the situations? And blah, 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 blah. You can shift all things. But do you go to God about it? That's the question James is asking. That is what the answer is. You should be going. If you're suffering, you're troubled, you're afflicted, the sufferer should pray instead of murmuring against one another. Emotionally and complaining and breaking out into curses and, and you need to pray to God instead. The phrase, in trouble, is a good way of saying what it means to be afflicted or suffering many times within our life. Paul used this word to describe the circumstances he was in as he suffered for the gospel's sake in 2 uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 9. As a Christian, we must understand that God's people go through life. And they often must endure difficulties that are not the result of sin or the the chastising of God because of having to correct you. Yes, it could, but sometimes we have situations in our lives that are neither one of those. It is the darkness and things that come against. What should we do when we find ourselves in such troubling circumstances? We must not grumble or criticize the saints that we saw in verse 9 where you seem to have it all together. You're rich and everything's together and everything's flowing with you and you have no ever ever troubles and problems. It's just me, oh me. Let me remind you what the scripture says when you go down those slippery slopes of oh woe woe is me called pity. Did you know that's satanic? Look it up today. You know pity is satanic, it's darkness. So we're not talking, we don't want to go down that slippery slope into pity and oh, he's me and it's everyone's against me and all these things because that is not where God wants you to be. He wants you to come to him of all your needs so that he can lift you up as we will see in the scripture. We should pray and asking God for the wisdom we need to understand the situation you find yourself in, the trouble you're finding yourself in, the situation you find yourself in, and use it to bring glory to Him. We see that back in chapter 1, verse 5. Oh, how important it is when you feel afflicted or troubled that you quickly remember this, that prayer can remove affliction if that is God's will. If it is God's will. But prayer can also give us the grace we need to endure the troubles 
those valley moments, that he can walk you through those valleys. He didn't say you're going to walk through the valleys by yourself. He says he will walk you through the valley. Do you remember that? Do you know that? Do you believe that? Because whatever he's allowed to touch your life, because all things are Father filtered before it touches your life, you know that it's God's will and that he's going to use it to to refine you, to build you up, to bring him glory. The question is, do you believe that? Or is it just words to you? If you believe it, you will not be so troubled and downtrodden and defeated as a Christian if you know that God is in control. To share in prayer is for another person, a believer must have a sensitivity to someone's needs. Engaged in, in a diligent supplication for another person. To really to say, Lord, if there's anyone that you need me to help today, show me their needs. Show me and reveal to me how I can be used of you to, for those needs that they have. Do you even think of that? Or do you just think, what can I get from someone else for me? But you're sitting there and going, I have nothing. I'm always the one that has needs. No, no. You always think you have needs because you just want, want, want. I'm telling you, even if you have tremendous need, stop and stop thinking about yourself and say, even if I only have one cookie left, Lord, if you want me to give that to someone who has even a bigger need, let me be freely to give it to That's the mindset. That's the attitude that we are to have. See, by God's grace, God balances our lives and gives us hours of suffering, but days of singing. And we must keep that in perspective. We might think we're always suffering, but I assure you those are just hours compared to days that you should be singing to God. And praising him for what he has done in and through your life. But that's the sign of a mature Christian knows how to sing while he's in suffering. Not only are we see that James says you're to pray when you're suffering. But you're supposed to be prayerful when it comes to being cheerful. Or praising God for what he has just blessed you with. Or blessed you through and bringing you through the valley or whatever the, it may be. Whatever you are is to praise him, praise him mightily. By prayer. Isn't that interesting? It's called Psalms. Do you realize in the middle of this book, the Bible, the largest book is the book of Psalms? And the book of Psalms is where you can turn from effort to see that song that can minister to your heart for regardless of the emotion you're dealing with today. Whatever emotion you're dealing with, there is a psalm that you can sing, you can read, and Pray in singing. Pray by in the Psalms. That is what we're doing. Do you realize when we're singing, you're not just lip singing. You're some of you are just saying, let's get through this. Let's get to the word. I'm telling you, you need to change the attitude. You don't walk in here after the worship of praying to God in song. You don't do that. That means you're just not mature yet. And I say keep showing up because you will realize praying as you sing to him is a worship of your God. It's part of this, it's part of the service. Yes, you pray when you're suffering. But yes, you sing in prayer to your Lord while praising. It's, it's so important for you and I that we understand that and grow and mature in that if you don't see praising as being praying to God. Which is a very important subject. If you remember, God is able to give songs to you in your head in the night. How do I know that? Job chapter 35 verse 10 
For those who struggle sleeping, maybe God is going to put a song in your head for you to now lift up in prayer and sing to him while you're awake. Stop crumbling and complaining that you're not sleeping and start worshiping in psalms to the Lord who's woke you up. He did it to Paul and Silas, if you remember in Acts 16.25, while they're suffering in the Philippian jail. What happened at midnight? No. Paul and Silas prayed and sang songs to God in the middle of the night. It's a form of prayer. See, prayer and singing were important elements in worship in the early church. And they should be as important to us today. Our singing should be an expression of our inner spiritual life. We can pray when singing. That is a fact. The believer's praise should be intellectual or understanding. Why? We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15. So you're not just singing anything, whatever you want to sing, whatever sounds good. No, it has to be intellectual. It has to be of understanding. And not just the mouthing of words or ideas that seem nothing to him. It's just, I like the beat, man. It's just, I only do the beat. I have no idea what the words are singing. Most secular songs, that's, that is for me. I, I can't tell you what the words are. <laughs> I can't even tell you who's singing it. I just know, that's a catchy little tune. I'm probably very thankful I don't know what the words are being said. But when it comes to singing to God, you must understand the words you're saying. It has to be understanding and it has to be understood. And in a tongue, you do not understand. So if someone is singing to God in a tongue, you do not understand. That is not good for you. So for those out there who say as people are worshiping and you start, you have the gift of tongues and you're just singing in the tongues and you want everyone to hear you and no one can understand you, that is, not a, that is not a good thing. Why? Because you should be able to sing intellectually or understanding of the words, but you also need to understand what the words are. See, it should come from the heart. We see in Ephesians chapter 5 and motivated by this Holy Spirit, chapter 5, verse 18 of Ephesians. We want the Holy Spirit moving when we worship God in song. Let the Holy Spirit move in in a way that touches our heart to start praying by worshiping God in song. And that's why it's so important Christians are singing and do sing based upon the word of God. We see that in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. As Christians we, we must be singing the word of God. The, the, what we sing has to be in line with the word of God. It cannot go against the word of God. In the Psalms it is filled with songs. And we must remember if a song is not biblical, it is not acceptable to God. Do I need to repeat that? I don't care how good the little jingle is. If the words in that song is not biblical, it is not acceptable to God. Now I know that's not the going thing in the church today. That you can sing whatever makes you feel good and it can be as worldly as, as possible and it can be as, as unbiblical based but still played and sung in churches like it is like you're just singing God. I assure you it is unacceptable to God. You may disagree but take that up with God. I just know what the word of God says and I'll go with, with what God says not what the world tells me. He continues here in verse 14, if anyone among you is sick, this is the third question, 
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This third question can cause some, a lot of challenges in, uh, in these verses. Um, these verses are controversial, verses 14 and, and 15, because some, uh, some churches have taken this liberty to take this and create their own theology and their own way of doing things. I'm just going to simply teach you what I believe what the Lord is showing me, and I'll let you, let you wrestle with this. But in this, I know what the Greek word says here for the word sick. And it can mean physical sickness. It does. It can mean physical sickness. We can see that played out in, uh, in, in the Gospels uh, mostly. We see this, this Greek word here meaning physical uh, maladies. But in general, what it really means, and I believe in the context of the scripture here, what it means is weakness or defeated or spiritually or mostly downtrodden or heaviness or a weight upon someone. That someone who's so troubled by others coming against them and afflicted against them, which we just learned in the first part of chapter 5, this part of the letter, it was all about, nothing about sickness, it was all about people coming against these other Christians. That's the context. So when I read this and I see the Greek word here meaning, yes, physical, but mostly a weakness or a weariness in the word. The Greek word is asathenio, which means to be weak. But we also see not only this word in the Gospels, but we see it in Acts and Epistles, where it talks about a weak flesh or a weak conscience. You can go back in Acts chapter 20, Romans chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. There's many places that same Greek word is used to describe impact on one's life. Now, we also see a Greek word called kemno, uh, which means in, in verse 15 of James chapter 5, translated to a, a, the sick person to mean to be weary. They're just weary. They're just absolutely exhausted from the suffering and the tribulations that are coming against them as a Christian. They're just weary as can be. So James clearly is speaking to those who have grown weary and weak as a Christian in this world that, at that time. Are you find yourself weary? Do you find yourself weak at times as a Christian trying to live a life that is pleasing to God and watch what is going and constantly bombarding us every day from every form of, of communication? Even those who are the closest to you, like family members, are coming against you because you're standing for the things of God and they are wanting to live like the world? Doesn't it get exhausting? Hello? Am I the only one? I don't think so. Because I hear from many of you saying you're tired and you're weak and exhausted and how you can overcome. This is what James was talking about. He's speaking to you today. He says, notice here in verse 14. He says, if anyone among you is sick, he didn't say, let us pray. Look what he says here. Catch it. It's very important in the scripture here. He says, let him call the elders of the church. It's upon this person. And take it over to what? You're sick, you're home, you're sick, you're... You're, you're spiritually drained, you're, you're, you can't even get out, you seem so oppressed and depressed, the spiritual warfare has just absolutely beaten you up, you've, you've failed miserably, you've sinned, you've, you've, you're struggling, and it's, it's just ravaging your mind because you said you would never do it again, and you did it, and you can't believe it happened. James is saying, don't think the elders at the church knows what's happening in your life every moment of the day. Do you know that? If I haven't seen you after a week, I know sometimes, because you don't have to come here. I, I hope you go, grow into a point where you desire to come here. But if I haven't seen you in a week or two weeks, I'm praying for you. 
I count people who, if you built relationships here, are praying and communicating with you somehow, some way through text or email or, or, or Facebook, and they're watching and seeing. And we're constantly going, have you seen such and such? Have you seen such and such? Have you, uh, how do you know they're going, oh, I think they're deployed now. Oh, okay. We're always constantly praying for all of you. If you've developed relationships here, we know you. If you haven't developed relationships here, we don't know you. But either way, if we know you or we don't know you, if you are sick, it's purely important if you're physically sick or you are spiritually beaten up and you're sick because you're weary and tired. And you don't know if you could get back up and come again and show your face because you've screwed up so bad. Take a step of faith and you must call the elders to come to you and to pray for you and encourage you in the faith. But you have to call. Notice, if you're struggling and suffering, you pray. If you're so excited because God is just blessing you, all things are going so well in there, you pray and thank him for all that. But if you can, you've heard me say it how many times, my brothers and sisters, keep showing up regardless of how you feel. But if you're sick because you don't feel like coming anymore, you feel like the enemy got in your head and you just don't think anyone loves you and no one cares and no one knows anything about Just, uh, Just please start talking to God about it because he's going to tell you, you need to call someone. You need to, you need to phone a friend right now. And that friend... The scripture says call the elders because the spiritual leaders are going to come to you and they're going to pray for you. And not only will they pray for you, but they're going to pray over you and anoint you with the oil in the name of the Lord. Because they're going to want to come and they're going to encourage you and minister to your heart. But you must ask. It's a step of faith. Oh, how many times over the years of ministry... I said, Where, what happened to such and such? Well, they're really upset with the church because they, no one ever reached out to them and talked to them and, 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 and they never knew they were going through some difficult times. Oh, I, when it was just five of us when we started the church, I knew every single buddy in the, in the church. Do you, are you with me? <laughs> but as we've grown... I don't know everybody and you don't want me to be in your life into every single detail. Sometimes I don't want to see your Facebook messages. I really don't because I, <laughs> I know we're to have to pray for you. But <laughs> you really don't want me to because I know you don't. Except for those who are mature and are comfortable because they know they're living for Christ. You're to call the elders and let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. Now, it's interesting when we take a look at this this word oil, many believe that, and this is where sometimes some theology kind of goes off a little bit, um, there's two different words for regards to oil in the scripture. There's the one which is this aliafo, which means to rub oil on them. It's like, it's like, like I, I, you know... <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to use the word, you know, massage the oil on the head or to any kind of connotation. But, but it's, the, it's a soothing oil. It's to, to soothe. It's to bring comfort. If you remember in Luke chapter 7, verse 38, when the woman brought the perfume, that oil, to Jesus' feet. It was a pouring on. It was to comfort, to, 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 to a blessing, kind of a, an encouragement. But we also see in, in Luke 7, 46, where the host pours oil on the head of the guest. Because again, it was this hot time in the desert. and It needed to be soothing. And oil was a way of doing it. It wasn't that they were sick. They were just being comforted with the oil. A 
person who is fasting should not be sad and downtrodden in the face so everyone knows you've been fasting, but be encouraged and refreshed by not looking ungroomed, but be groomed. That's why it says in Matthew 6, 17, to put oil on his head and wash his face so when they come into presence of other people, they're not going, oh, you must be fasting, you look terrible. No, no, get the oil on, look good, slick the hair back, whatever you need to, but make sure you feel groomed, not ungroomed, when it comes and oil was used. We see the same word for oil when the, for the, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And that's where I look at the scripture and I say, the elders is the spiritual leaders of the church. They are to minister using the word of God. That is what the calling, that's the gifting of God giving them. To go to minister to someone who is sick, who is A, physically sick, or B, the fact that they're weary and tired and exhausted spiritually and they've screwed up and they really, they can't even show themselves in the, in the fellowship. They, need, they, just, they know they need help. They make that call to the elders and they come and they anoint them with the oil, I believe, is that symbol of the Holy Spirit coming back and restoring and refreshing the life of that person. The other reason why I believe this is not so much the physical that James is talking about, because we know that as many times we have anointed people with oil and prayed, the majority have not been healed. But it still brings an encouragement to them to take the next step and to keep showing up regardless of how they feel. They keep pursuing God because the fact that they feel no longer feel alone, they feel that they know that God can restore them, that God's grace and his mercies are with them, are for them, not against them. Why? Because... God hasn't left them. God will never leave them or forsake them. And so all of that to be said is that if James is really talking about a spiritual, emotional weakness and weariness that can come upon one's life. It can be a weight because they A, they sinned, or B, because people are coming against them and persecuting them in their faith. It doesn't matter what is the reason. The bottom line is to call for help. Ask the elders, ask for that brother, that sister in the Lord who knows the word to pray for you and with you, but to take that step of faith so that they can come and anoint and, and, and certainly do that. To be lifted up, to be encouraged, and be refreshed. But notice here in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is where we see why people think this is purely a physical act. Here is someone's physically sick, and they're so dead, they're almost dead. And some religion actually takes this scripture and doesn't say it's coming to heal them or to help them and to, to get better, that they take it to the extremes and the pendulum. So one of the extremes is if you pray, do the prayer of faith, you will always, if you have faith, you will always be healed. You got that extreme. That's not biblical. Ask Paul about that one. He asked three times. But Lord had to use that, that thorn to keep him humble. But then you have this other extreme of a particular religion who says you need to come to the little box at the church sitting there and you're going to you're going to you're going to come to him and you only can come to me the only way you're going to be able is if you come to that priest if you come to that pastor and that's the only way you be, can be go to God and be healed not biblical There's also a position that talks about, oh, well, let's just keep moving on because I know I'm going to go down a path I probably don't want to go down. But the prayer of faith, 
If you're going to pray, pray for another person or ask for prayer. You have to make sure that you have the faith. You believe that God is hearing and God is going to have his will done. How many times have you found yourself praying for something you have no idea, you could care less, but you're just praying because everyone else asks you to pray. But you have no really interest in God's will for that person's life. Or someone says, oh, you're really struggling. Let me pray for you. And you're like, oh, oh, the good Christian thing to do is, yeah, okay, great. You can pray for me. But you don't even believe that God is going to do it. What I'm saying is that we must get to a point in our walk with the maturity as a Christian that we believe God hears. God is, hears all things, knows all things, all powerful. He can do whatever he wants to do in that situation according to his purpose and glory of your life. Every time you're going to pray, you must understand that as a foundation or it's not a prayer of faith. If someone's going to pray for you, you need to believe that God might be using that person right now in your life because God is going to use them as an instrument. And you need to believe that God, God, this is what you're going to do. I'm going to, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm open to whatever is your will and purpose. But the prayer of faith will save the sick. Again, that word sick is not just physical. It is dealing with that weary and downtrodden and restoration because you failed and troubled and situ- whatever it may be. The Lord will raise you up. It's not the elders who's going to raise you up. It's not anybody else going to raise you up. It's the Lord that's going to raise you up out of the situation you find yourself so struggling with. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. This is where I I, I kept saying I'm not going to go down this road, but I'll go down this road a little bit. Because the Lord just told me, you were going to say it. (laughs) My brothers, sisters. I hope, this, I hope this helps you. If you find someone sick or you're sick, don't automatically think because you have sin in your life that God is somehow dealing with you. Please don't go there. Do I believe that God could use sickness to chasten you, to bring you back to him? Yes, we know that. But don't be the very first thing. What you should do is, Lord, I'm coming to you and I'm just going to trust my life into your hands if it's a physical issue. If, if it is, is something that is being, you're being persecuted and it's wearing you out and it's causing problems and you're starting to go squirrely on you because you're starting to believe these lies and things that are coming against you and people are dividing and you're feeling lonely because all your friends have abandoned you because you've committed your life to Christ and no one wants to talk to you and you're... Again, please don't go down to that that self-focus of I must be really wicked and wrong and bad and God is chastening me, beating me and going to whip me. Please don't go down that path. Because there's a thought process and there's a teaching out there that says if you are sick, you have no faith and you are something wrong. You're sinning in your life. And you know how many lives that that false teaching has destroyed? Literally have destroyed their lives. Emotionally, physically, in, many, in some cases, but certainly spiritually. Because once they come to realize that it's false teaching, they leave the church altogether. They leave. The... In the early days of this church, we had an influx of many that came because of other churches teaching falsely. And when that owl got exposed, they walked away from the church for 10, 15 years. And they, find, they, they found their way back. Lord brought them back and was restored because they sat and 
verse-by-verse teaching of the Word of God and been restored only by the grace of God. But that false teaching literally took them off an entire and their generation upon generation for 10, 15 years because of that false teaching. Don't get wrapped up in that. So as we take a look at here, and we're going to wrap up here. I know I keep saying that as a pastor. That's, that's one of my rights to say. But um, Verse 16. I'm confessing. Okay. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, when we take a look at this, James reminds us that the mutual confession and prayer brings healing. Both physically, spiritually, emotionally, confession can free us from a heavy, heavy burden. Because you know deep within that the weight of that sin, the weight of that issue that you know that you've trespassed is so heavy. I call it God's heavy hand. As a Christian, if, you, if you've sinned and it, it, the heavy hand of God is upon you, eventually you're going to feel it emotionally, spiritually, and even physically. Because it's going to eat you away, you know that's why James is saying in the scripture, God, the Holy Spirit is saying to us, confess your trespasses to another because it is a way of God allowing you to no longer have that in darkness. It needs to be brought out and it needs to be dealt with because it's cleaning your house. God, once you give your life to Jesus Christ, he starts a process of what we call sanctification. He is going to do a work in your life and he is faithful to complete that work and it can be an easy (laughs) or it can be difficult because you're fighting against that transformation, that change in your life. But God is going to have his way with you. You're a child of God. Do you understand that? So it's better that you just confess to the Lord Just lay it on his feet. Don't have any of these hidden things. And if you're struggling because you're not perfect, once you're saved, you're not perfect. You still in this flesh, and this flesh can drive you. If If you're not walking in the spirit, the scripture says, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you need to stay in walking in the spirit. How do you do that? If you don't know that, I don't have time to go into all that detail, but you need to be, keep showing up regardless how you feel. You need to be in the word of God. You need to be in prayer and you need to be in fellowship. Why? Because there's times where you need to sit down with a trusted person, an elder or a a brother who is solid in the scripture, a sister that's solid in the scripture who can help you using the word of God to minister to you through the difficulty you're having. It's a healing process because you're not keeping it a secret anymore. It's not in darkness. The enemy can't get a hold of you and twist things in your minds because you are sitting down and opening yourself. You're humbling yourself in front of another person. That's why it says, confess your trespasses to one another. That means you're literally having this in-depth conversation, praying back one another. And pray for one another. You need, that's what it means. That's why, okay, here's a side thing. I don't understand this. My wife was Catholic, and I, this confessional kinds of stuff, I, as, an, as a heathen who never went to church, I had no idea what that meant. It, it was crazy to me. But I'm sitting here reading the scripture here going, well, if it's confession, it's, it's confessional is what they're talking about and what they use the scripture for, where you have to confess to this other person and this priest... Well, the scripture tells me that the priest should be praying and confessing. There should be a two-way conversation going on in this conversation, not just one way through the little holes that you can't see who you're talking to. Do you know what I'm saying? Scripture, if you just read the scripture as it is, the things that people go off and do these, these side tangents has to be in line with the scripture. But it says here, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed Healed from what? 
their soul to be healed. The emotions and all the things that you're struggling with in this life because you're weary and you're tired. And, you're, and it also could be physical because the effective, if fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's why I say, make sure you are not asking some non-believer to pray for you. Don't be asking for some brand new believer who doesn't even, they just know, I just know Jesus spoke to my heart and I just surrendered it all. I have no idea. That's not the person you want to go confess to. Even if it's your best friend. Don't go to that person. Go to someone who is walking with the Lord, who is, who is walking upright, a righteous man or a righteous woman, and ask for prayer from them because they're going to take you right to Jesus. They're going to take you right to the Word. They're going to take you right to the truth. They're going to take, tell you that the only way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. The only way you come to the Father is through by Jesus. And so there's no other way. And so that is why James is saying here and how important it is for the healing of your life and your, not only bodily, but for your healing of your soul. How do I know that? Matthew 13, 15. Hebrews 12, 13. 1 Peter 2, 24. I mean, there's more scriptures that talks about what James is talking about. Now, we could go into a whole nother hour of just how do you properly confess. Let me see if I can summarize my 15 points on confession into two. If the sin is public, the confession needs to be public. If the sin is private, the confession needs to be private. Two rules of thumb. Practical application. Here it is. I know women don't do this, but men have a tendency to do this. They get into a big group and they want to tell all of their junk in front of everybody. You know that's a joke, right? I can't even get guys to say one word about anything. But let's just use that as an example. They should not be sharing private sin publicly. It's not healthy. It's not good. It also brings other problems. So the encouragement is, no, you need to privately deal with the person that is trespassed against. Go deal with that person directly, one-on-one, not publicly. And two, if it is a secret and no one knows for instance, you're sitting there and you're having sinful thoughts and you're trespassing because you're having lustful thoughts about someone. You don't go to that person who doesn't even know you. Say, hi, my name is, you don't know me, but I've been lusting after you for the last several years every time you come here into church. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not what it's saying. Confess it to God. He's the only one that he's the only one knows what you're thinking. Now, if you need help in dealing with your lust, then I recommend you come to an elder and let the elder help you deal with what the scripture says about lust. Are you with me? That's a summary. If anyone wants more of the eight, you know, 13, 14 points, we can talk about that. But let me ask say one thing. Why is confession important? We know historically, confession of sin has been an absolute key point of genuine awakening and revival in the countries. Over 250 years, if you study any revival in Europe or United States, it has always started with a small group of people confessing to God their sins and confessing and getting right with God and and getting into his word. And that will then spread. It just has a spreading effect that caused the revivals. So why is that important? Because it can change lives. It can change communities. It can change a church. It can change a family because one was willing to humble. But the fervent, effective and fervent prayer means a heartfelt compassion or passionate prayer. Prayer of a righteous man avails much. Why? Because in writing about the need for prayer, for the suffering, for the sick, and for the sinning, 
James makes it very important point here. It needs to be effective in nature. It has to be passionate what you're praying about and praying for. You must be putting your heart into that prayer. You must put your passion and your heart into that understanding of what you're praying for or who you're praying for or the situations you're praying for because much of our prayers lots of praying people can pray boy they're really eloquent they're praying but there is no fervently there's no there's no passion there's no nothing there's just a lot of words it's not effective it's a It's a lot of words or they're praying with lukewarm attitudes and it doesn't avail much. Effective prayer must be fervent. Not because we're trying to be emotionally persuade God to do what you want them to do. That is not why you do that. Because we we so desperately, passionately want to know God's heart about the situation you're praying for. You pray not to convince what God needs to do. You need to pray so you understand what God's will is so that you can change to be in line with what God's will is. That is what's important. Verse 17 and 18, he gives us an example here. If you remember, he gave an example of prophets. He gave us an example of Job. If you remember earlier in the chapter, now he gives Elijah as an example of this person who is a fervent, effective prayer life. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Notice that. Elijah wasn't some special man that no one of us can say we could never do that. The scripture is very clear. Elijah was a man with a nature like yours, like mine. He wasn't some special, special guy. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gained rain, gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So James here brings this last example here known to the Jewish audience. Everyone knew who Elijah was. There's no question that was a perfect example of bringing to light why he was making these points in his letter here. And his first is the fact that he says Elijah was this just man that I'm talking about, that righteous man, a just man, a man who followed his heart after God and he listened to God. He understood God's heart. He understood he was listening to God's word. And when God's word said to him that this was going to happen to this particular king, happen in this particular place, at this time, he knew his prayer was in line with God's will. How do we know that? Well, we go back and his prayer in faith was in line with God because you go back and read 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 for this whole account. Go back and read that as your Sunday afternoon uh, moment because you are going to find how God, he knew and believed God's word that in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 13 and 14, God said that this was going to happen. He had absolute proof in his mind what God's will is and purpose. He prayed the rain to stop. He even warned that king. There's destruction. There's going to be problems. And the king had no clue. Who is this man and why is he saying this to me? Three and a half years later, there's no rain. Then God said, when this changes, you pray and I will bring you back rain. And he did. That's a fervent prayer warrior. Pray earnestly. It literally means prayed with prayer. How did you pray? With prayer. Meditate on that a little bit. You prayed with prayer. To truly pray, by definition, is to pray earnestly. It means prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done in on earth. Remember, you cannot separate the word of God from prayer. When you pray, you pray the word of God. You want to take the word of God that God has put into your heart. You've studied the word of God. And as you pray, you're praying the word of God to the situation at hand. As God leads you by his spirit, giving you those words. And the promises. And the claims that you can hold on to. 
But not only was Elijah not only believing in his praying, but he was persistent. He didn't just, I'll throw up a prayer for you today. No, no. He persistently prayed for God's will of that situation. And Elijah continued to pray for aid until his servant reported, if you remember. I'm going to keep praying. You keep looking. Do you see any signs of anything? No, I haven't seen anything. Oh, go back and look. Do you see any signs? No. Seven times. And what happened on that seventh time? His servant came back and says, Ooh, ooh, I see a cloud in the form of a shape of a man's hand. And what did he say? Man, that's all it is? It's just a little cloud? He said, go, because it's going to rain so hard and so bad. You better buckle the hatches down because God is bringing the rain. He knew God answered the prayer. Too many times we fail to get what God promises because we stop praying. We're not persistent. We're not earnest. We're not continuing to do it. It is true that we are not heard for our much praying, Matthew 6, 7, but there is a difference between vain repetitions and true believing persistence in prayer. Let me read something to you. Matter of fact, please stand. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace.